This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. Infirmary Media. In decades, the Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Who culture popping pins, dropping hand grenades? Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Banner ballet and sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Broadcasting from the Infirmary Media Studios, it's the adult only retro game show where the 80s and 90s do battle. Because it's your history, we just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. I am Mark James, one half of the Mamelukes, and alongside me is my tag team partner, Man Crush. What's up, man? Welcome back. Feels good to have you back in the helm so you can do that intro, because I tried that shit last week and I failed <laughs> miserably. Yeah, we I was fixed pulling it. shit out of my head. I was like, I'm going to do a Michael Buffer. I'm like, in the blue corner. I sound like an asshole. Anyhow, we have December of 1987. And our opponents dueling with December of 1994. What's going on, Brent? This is Drew Zachman from the One Headlight 90s podcast. Happy to be here, guys. So we are cleverly going to be named... 51 headlights this week <laughs> we feel we feel it's appropriate mm-hmm. and we're uh we're talking about december of probably one of the best years ever 1994 we're about to prove that i think is what you're getting at i think so and i'm already excited because when we said 51 headlights we already had a lion heart uh drop in before we started <laughs> <laughs> recording so this is going to be a great great episode no matter what have you guys ever spoke before or was this like a blind pairing i it's like a blind no. it's like a blind date yeah, right, I'm 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 gentle but firm, so you'll like <laughs> and it. And I and I appreciated it. <laughs> and speaking of gentle and firm, <laughs> it's the Pumquad himself. As always, here on the show, we need someone to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So let me introduce to you tonight's judge. He is the big brazen badass from Beantown, and not the dead Olympic wrestler. It's the host of the Selling Out Show, the Honorable Judge. Dave Schultz. Hello, hello, hello. I am back. I am the judge with the fudge, and you forgot to call me supple. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. A judge's coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. All right, duelers, pack it up, pack it in. Let me begin. It's time to play Dueling Decades. 
Beep, 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 beep. All right, let's go right down to Judge Dave Schultz for the official toss-up. All righty. I like to come, well, lately I've been coming with VHS covers to flip around to see uh, who gets to go first. That's how you come. <laughs> yes, yeah. Those are some pretty, those poor VHS covers, they never see it coming. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so. <laughs> Chained heat this week. Here we go. Yeah, last time I brought Waterworld, but this time I brought a delightful family film known as E.T. the Extraterrestrial. So we have the front cover with Elliot and E.T. touching fingers. And on the back here, we got Elliot yet again with E.T., but he's in the basket on his bike. What are they touching that time? I don't want to know. I really, they weren't, I don't know. Was there a hole in that basket? Ouch. Yeah, ouch, be good. So who's calling it and what do you want? Hey, your home turf. We'll defer to you guys to call it. Oh shit! Wow. <laughs> Fuck. I don't even, like. I haven't called a flip in forever. Uh, what is it? Heads or tails? It's either, it's either the basket, the basket, or them touching tips. <laughs> yeah, let's just, yeah, let's go. Fingers touching tips. We okay. like that. Finger bang. Let's see what we get. <laughs> Finger cuffs. Nope. Nope. We got the basket. Damn. So Ooh. tails wins the flip. I don't know, Drew. What do you think? Uh, I so I I feel like we have a. I mean, you never know what can happen, but I think we have a couple good categories here. I, and you tell me what you think. I feel like news might be one of our weaker ones. I was going to say TV or that probably. Okay, I say I say we start with uh, we say we go with news. Let's do it. All right. So I'll um I'll start with this one here. Uh, I think I actually talked about this one of the last times I was on, but uh, a particular investigation of Mr. William and Hillary Clinton, which is the Whitewater investigation. Um. Basically, that's when it all began. Uh, our good friend Kenneth Starr was involved. He removed all the documents. This is uh, the first time a, a sitting first lady was actually subpoenaed to testify in front of Congress. But basically, uh, they wound up getting uh, getting off of this. Not like that. Mm. Um, <laughs> I think like you can't say getting off and Bill Clinton in the same sentence. <laughs> But yeah, they wound up getting uh, exonerated of it. And then later, I think uh, Clinton actually was the one who pardoned, uh, I think it was McDougal. So pretty much nobody got in any trouble. Yeah. And if anyone had any uh, loose ends on that, they've suspiciously not been seen <laughs> since. So, <laughs> And you can listen to that episode on Hysteria 51. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice segue. I like that. Uh, our second one for this week. I guess I was pretty young, but I still thought this was cool. You didn't need a map to the stars in 1994, December, to find Heidi Fleiss because she was in court being found guilty of running a call girl ring. The Hollywood madam was found guilty, and uh, they were banging prostitutes that she was giving to the stars. It was like a, a cornucopia, they say, of who's who was in her her little black book that that she was uh, providing them to, but in a classy or not so classy, whatever you want to say, when she was questioned about revealing the names of her clients, she replied, it's not my style. She actually was out by 99, and she's been a staple on reality TV since then. So, God like, you know, dumbass <laughs> island, and this person goes shopping and stuff like that. Anything you can think of, uh, she's she's on there all the time. Heidi Fleiss. She has a porn too, doesn't she? Did she have a porn? They probably or, all no, do. I'm thinking of uh, Fisher. No, yeah, Carrie Fisher had one, right? 
Amy Fisher, not Carrie Fisher. Carrie. <laughs> yeah, I don't, think it was, I don't think it was Carrie. Star Wars is on the mind. I'm sorry. What would have been more traded, the Carrie Fisher porn or the Christmas special for Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know which would have been traded around more. I think I read something that Charlie Sheen dropped like 53 grand on prostitutes with just with her. So who knows how much he spent on other agencies? I don't even know if that's a lot <laughs> or a little for like Hollywood madam status. I, I have don't no even idea. know. I don't know what the going rate is. I'll have to check that. I'll, I'll do some research. Look at him playing it cool. I don't even know what it, what it costs. I don't <laughs> a know. friend of mine. It was a friend of mine. But that was, that was 53 grand, though, back in 94. So that's probably like 100 grand now. It's a 1.2 trillion with inflation. <laughs> <laughs> if my math checks out. All right, man, Crush. I guess that's over to us for the news round. Yeah, and I guess so. As fate would have it, you accidentally name dropped Carrie Fisher. So I'm going to start off this round because my news pick, oddly enough, ties perfectly in with Carrie Fisher because she was a huge proponent of this item that was released in December of 1987. It was approved by the FDA. And I'm talking about Prozac, who Carrie Fisher oh. says saved her life. It was finally approved in December of 1987 by the FDA. Uh, Prozac began marketing across the United States, and it reached $350 million within that first year. Worldwide sales eventually reached to a peak of $2.6 billion annually. Over 30 million people are on a prescription of it, myself included, and I'm sure a lot of other people. It's a serious thing. If you battle depression and if you know someone who is depressed, just reach out to them. Sometimes they host a podcast show and they're pretty lonely. You could reach out to them too, or or me. Just just reach out to me, please. Help. Hey, I tell you what, there's all those people and at least one dog, because I have a dog on Prozac. <laughs> Are you serious? I didn't know he they had, did that. So he had a he has like a compulsion with licking. He'll just like lick furniture, lick you, lick the couch, lick you know. Yeah, himself. that's why I'm on it. And he licks himself. <laughs> and I'm saying this. I'm saying he's on it. Today was literally his first pill he ever took. Wow. So, Topical. Yeah, just Topical. Yeah. So, yeah. Prozac, it's one of the top 30 drugs still prescribed to people today. It's one of the top antidepressants. Over $2.6 billion a year in sales for Prozac. Man Crush, over to you. All right. Good one. Uh, December 2nd, 1987. I, I picked this one because there are... Obviously, there's a lot of things that don't fly in 2019 that were all right in the 1980s, although the 1980s weren't always the Wild West that we remember. I think, you know, if you're in our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash doing decades, go to the group, you'll see everyone always talks about, oh, in the 80s, we did this and that. There was still some regulation and we still had groups that complained about things like advertising. So that's where I'm going with this one. Uh, the Ohio Department of Liquor Control, they ordered Anheuser-Busch to halt shipments of Bud Light because it depicts Spuds McKenzie, who, interestingly enough, whose real name was Honey Tree Evil Eye. I mean, my daughter, that's got a nice ring to it. Uh, it was actually female, by the way. Uh, but they depicted uh, Spuds McKenzie wearing a Santa Claus suit. Spuds, an English terrier, he appeared wearing the Santa-like jacket and a Santa hat and a big bag full of beer. Well, in Ohio, the administrative rules are against Santa ads for alcohol, and that dates all the way back to 1950. But here's my thing on this, and this is why I picked this fucking story, because shit like this pisses me the fuck off. They go on in this article to talk about how, like, teenage drinking is this big problem. Well, guess what? It's still a big problem in 2019. And they had these laws since the 1950s. 
So in my estimation, what did these laws actually do? Because they still had the problem in 1987. Yeah. Does seeing a dog in a Santa costume really lead kids to drink? You know, it all boils down to parenting. Come on. I mean, think about the first time you guys had a drink with your friends. Did you think it was all right because you saw Spuds as a spokesmodel for Budweiser? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Just like I knew it was okay to smoke cigarettes because a camel said so. Yeah. Oh, that, and he had a dick nose. <laughs> right. Also correct. <laughs> but it was also because, like, you just wanted to look cool. You know, you wanted to fit in with your friends and get fucked up. Some shit never changes. It's been the same forever. A dog in a Santa costume is not going to change that. But the state of Ohio thought that they would. So what they had was Budweiser go and take all this shit off the shelves in December and remove all the uh, the Spuds McKenzie wow. marketing material with him with Santa Claus on it. No, it's not the most exciting story, but that shit pisses me off, and I had to bring it to the table. No, it's great, and I'm glad you did. And I didn't want to mention it during my story until you touched upon yours, but the interesting thing with both of our stories is in 1987, they are both connected. Prozac and Spuds McKenzie. How? They changed the advertising world. For the reasons you just mentioned with Spuds McKenzie, and also when Prozac came on the market, started advertising on TV... That is the reason today we see all, like, every other commercial is for a new drug. That started with Prozac being mass marketed to people. You have no clue what the fuck the drug is for or anything like that, but they're always on television. Right. But at least you'll know that you won't get hairy eyeballs from it. Right. They'll, they'll let you know that. Just ask your doctor if it's right for you. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we got. We got the Spuds McKenzie and some fucking Prozac. Lift you up. All right, let's head over to Judge Dave Schultz for the ruling for round one. All right, let me recap here. We got 51 headlights with um, Drew went back to the well for some white water. As he mentioned, he likes to use Bill Clinton for the news. Now, absolutely. Brent had the Hollywood madam Heidi Fleiss, who had a face that looked like she got it run over by a Mack truck, which, you know, it makes me wonder. You see her, you wonder what kind of, you know, hookers you're going to get in return. I don't know. That's not really the good face for the the organization, if you know what I mean. But you know, those who can do, those who can't, yeah, have supervise. For them. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> She's a coach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Eighty-seven Prozac, Mark. That's a big one because I even remember when I was a kid, and now this is completely not politically correct in 2019. But if someone was acting a little bit off, I remember someone saying, "What are you on Prozac?" You know, yeah. isn't like, what's the matter with you? So that was, you mentioned the advertising too, which is, again, a big deal to this day. Now, I do have a question about the Bud Light Spuds McKenzie Santa because, you know, Man Crush mentioned someone had to go to the stores and reclaim all of that merchandise. They made Budweiser do it. Oh, Bud, right. But it's, you know, some schmuck from whatever local, you know, plant they have that has to go get it. Right. But- I'm wondering, is there some kind of secret landfill, much like the E.T. Atari game, <laughs> full of Spuds McKenzie Santa merchandise? That I did look on eBay. Did you? And there, yeah, there's some stuff that's up there. And it wasn't going for, like, I thought it'd be, like, really collectible. But for, like, 30 bucks, you can get just, like, a sign or whatever. Uh-huh. You can yeah. go on there. You can find some stuff. Yeah, I got two Spuds McKenzie's posters here in the studio. I, they weren't very expensive. You can pick them up in for the a few In the Santa suit, though, he's talking about. Okay, well, all that aside, all that eBaying uh, for Spuds <laughs> McKenzie aside, you know, in 87, I, Mark really came with a big gun here with the Prozac. I mean, 
Again, it impacts so many people on a daily basis every day in their lives. So I'm going to give this round to December 87 and the Mama Lukes. All right. All right. Man Crush, we pick up a point. What category do you want to go with next? I'll let you pick, man. Oh, boy. Thanks, man. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> let's go with... You want to go with Hot Products? Yeah. I thought that's where you were going to go, so... All right, let's go with hot products. All right. I, I'll start with this one. All right, so we got December 9th, 1987. And this one's for the old heads like myself who've been using computers for decades. And this one makes me feel super old because I first started using computers in 1985. But this right here is a pretty important advancement in technology, even though it might not seem it to everybody. But if you were around during this time, it was. In the 1980s, if you're using an IBM-compatible computer... That's what was commonly heard if you were using a PC back then. It was an IBM compatible because we had IBM, Mac, Mega, Commodore, Atari. There's like fucking 1,800 brands. So you had your IBM compatible. You're basically relegated to using like text-based DOS in most cases until about 1985 when Windows 1.0 came out. However, a lot of people like myself... We preferred to use DOS, even me as like a seven-year-old. I'd rather type because 1.0 was super clunky. And the biggest issue with Windows 1.0, especially in my case, was the fact that you can only, you couldn't overlap any of your windows, which almost deemed Windows inoperable. You couldn't have, you couldn't really multitask. It was really annoying. So then on December 9th, 1987, we get the release of Windows 2.0 for a mere $73.95 Around $176, or $100, yeah, $167, rather, in 2019, now we're given the ability to really multitask. Because now you can have multiple applications, you can have these windows open, and you can overlap the windows. And you could resize these windows, much in the same way that we use windows today. Imagine trying to use your computer right now, and you can only have one window open at a time. So this was like a huge advancement. And then on top of that, it became the first version of Windows to allow you to use Microsoft Word and Microsoft Excel within Windows. So just think about the time that that began to save in the whole in the working environment. Obviously, you know, this is 1987, so I'm not going to lie. There are performance issues with the computers of the era to run like a full on GUI. But the, they're laying the path right there for the next generation of computers but if you look at Windows 10, it's basically like a blown up version of these earlier versions of Windows. And they also brought us the uh, the terminology of minimize and maximize. We're talking big time here, folks. Windows 2.0. <laughs> Off to you, Mark. All righty. For my hot product, I, you know, I looked around and I found a video game that was released in December of 1987 in Japan and in the United States called... Rockman. You guys ever heard of Rockman? It's great. No, no. It's like Rock Band. Right. No, no, no. Rockman. <laughs> also better known by its American name, Mega Man. Was released uh, for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Interesting side note about this game is they originally did not think it was going to be a big seller for the system. The artwork was rushed out with literally the artist did the box artwork overnight. It does not resemble the game at all. If you've ever looked at the original box art for the NES Mega Man, it's got like this middle age guy, almost looks like Tron. Nothing like with the game. He's holding a gun. Yeah, but it, <laughs> it doesn't matter because once people got that game, they fell in love with it. And not only did it spawn 
one, two, three, no, 11 sequels, plus all of the spinoffs. We're talking all in all, when you're counting mobile games to everything in the Mega Man franchise, we're talking over 50 games that this one game has spun off. Uh, the legacy of Mega Man continues to grow today. IGN listed the game at number 30 in its top 100 games of all time. Nintendo Power ranked Mega Man number 20 on its 100 best games of all time. And as of June 30th, 2019, the game series has sold more than 35 million units worldwide. So for some shitty box art and a game that thought was going to be a total flop, you just can't go wrong with Mega Man. Released in December 1987. Cockman. Cockman. <laughs> I'd like to see that box art. <laughs> he wasn't holding a gun in that one no nope. or was he <laughs> oh. love gun <laughs> all right off to you guys feel free drew go for it all right man so you're talking about mega man and how great of a game that was well we have an actual console that you could play games on and that console that came out actually to be specific because i think we like specifics around here December 3rd, 1994, and let me think, it sold over 100,000 units on the initial launch day. Overall, it sold over 100 million units, and is the first console of any kind to ship that many. Uh, I am talking about the phenomenal PlayStation, which is so great. It played CDs, I think that was, uh, systems were using like cartridges at that time. Uh, I mean, plus so, it just played CDs. That was a novel thing because a lot of people didn't have CD players at that time. Still, it was yeah, it was, it was versatile, and I think people like versatility, especially back in 1994. But overall, between the original, the PS2, three, and four, and I think these numbers were as of November 7th, all of those units or all of those uh, consoles have sold over 450 million units. So, uh, I think people like them. Uh, I have, I don't have my original PS, but I still have my PS2, which I love playing college baseball on. That's freaking amazing. I still have my PS1, actually. See? See? They're, it's still around. <laughs> uh, but other games, I remember uh, uh, Twisted Metal was one of them. Soul Reaver, Gran Turismo, Metal Gear Solid. So many great games on there. Uh, I, I forget what year it was, but I think Tiger Woods was on there. So uh, it was it was a phenomenal system. Uh, I mean, and, and the PlayStation name, it's still going on as of now. So... I don't think the PlayStation's going anywhere, and that was the first one of its kind. Here's a really interesting tidbit about it, too, is it was so, so close to being a Nintendo console. Nintendo actually went to Sony, and they had them develop the PlayStation, and they pulled out at the last minute and didn't end up going with them. And so Sony, as a big FU, took all the work that they'd done and released it as the Sony PlayStation and the best part about that is there is one surviving prototype that works that is Nintendo badged and it has the the Nintendo controllers that plug in to play PlayStation and it's been it's made the news and it's been worked on and made to work again by some famous people and all that and it's actually being auctioned off in 2020 and they're expecting it to go for several hundred thousand dollars. Wow. See for the proof that it's never a good idea to pull out early. <laughs> <laughs> The more you know, duelers, the more you know. <laughs> so our second thing of 1994 release then, and also the hot toy for Christmas, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers became a breakout sensation that year, and it was the toy of Christmas. The number It was the first season of the show had just ended, and December 1st marked the launch of 
the comic book, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers album, uh, Rock Adventure <laughs> is what they called it, and toys of all sorts were rushed to shelves for that holiday season. They didn't, most of them, come out until mid-December because they didn't expect it to be this huge hit because if you guys remember the show, it was Japanese footage from another show that they brought over here and dubbed over it. And it was just a huge, huge hit. And the toys, there's now we're on, I don't know, like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, blah, blah, blah. And they just had a movie a couple years ago, and they're coming out with, they're rebooting that. Plus, we had the the movie back in the day, the original one, and so many different TV shows that have spit off of it. But yeah, that was the toy of 94, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers in all of its glory. Yeah, people still love that. Uh, I pulled up some numbers, and so the the 2016 Mighty Morphin Power Rangers comic book. So 2016, so people still love it. Uh, that sold approximately a hundred thousand copies, and their toys that they had out in 2012, they sold over eighty million dollars worth of toys. So and Jason David Frank is still making a living going around to Comic Cons <laughs> and <laughs> going, it. "Hey, I was in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers." See, people, I mean, it was big back then. It's it's still huge now. People love the friggin' Power Rangers. I still want to see him fight Van Damme. Right. To the That'd death. Be awesome. Surrounded by <laughs> 51 headlights. 51 headlights. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Van Damme. He hits, like, his knee and his elbow and calls all his punches right before he does it. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, no, that was, in, uh, that was in Kickboxer, wasn't it? I'm getting all my Van Dams confused. That's all right. They're pretty much all the same anyway, but they're fun. They're fun. Van damn it. He was at his best in uh, Time Cop where he would uh, do the splits like at random in the kitchen just because he wanted to do splits. It's funny you should mention that. If you guys have a nice little segue, go over to Facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades. We have trivia every day. As a matter of fact, our trivia for today was old Ron Silver from Tom- Ooh, Time Cop. There we go. Uh, rest in peace. Uh, a lot of people got that wrong today, thinking that it was Andy Garcia. Because he didn't have a beard in the picture, yeah. but it was definitely Ron Silver. <laughs> yeah, Ron Silver, sans beard, definitely looks like Andy Garcia. Oh, yeah, he does. Poor Ron it's- Silver, who touched himself in that movie and imploded or exploded or whatever. Oh, that's the right. The same yep. matter can't occupy the same space. Yeah, see, I was a huge fan of Ron Silver on The West Wing. If you guys ever saw him on that, his cameos on those episodes were fantastic. Solid. Yeah, Ron Silver's great. All right, let's throw it down to Judge Dave Schultz for round two. What do you got, man? Looking at 87, Man Crush. Uh, I wasn't sure if this was your hot product, this Windows 2.0, or if you were just trying to air out your application for entry into Lambda, Lambda, Lambda. <laughs> because, uh, everything you said just completely went over my head, you know, but I, I understand what do you mean, multi- multitasking cool. and moving windows is around? Dude, and it's you over no, your head? Yeah, I'm a dummy, and you get you getting your nerdy on like completely, man. You were like so into that. I, it was like your your I don't know your your dick measuring contest. You're like, I've been using computers since the '80s. All right, See, I know my shit. I'm like, okay, right, that's cool. Whatever. Dave, you, know? Uh, yeah. you know, I'm not I'm not a techie guy like like Man Crush. So I'm gonna break it down for you, real simple, man. Okay. Without the ability to have the multitasking overlapping windows, you couldn't hide your porn from mom when she walked into the room. Yeah. Bam. Imagine hiding porn with a messenger pigeon. That was really tough. So this was a. <laughs> A big all you gotta do is put the magazine in between your mattress and your and your box spring. That's all you gotta do. And back then, you couldn't just turn off the PC. You had to 
type in a code, turn a fucking key, everything to turn it off. <laughs> Throw it out the window. Remember that when the they keys? had the fucking yeah. keys? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You could take it on your keychain so nobody could log into your shit. And it was the same fucking key that worked on vending machines. Go figure. <laughs> yep, it sure was. <laughs> uh, Mark, you hit us with Mega Man. And, you know, that was, I liked that game. I enjoyed that game as a kid. It, was, it had some good numbers. Even though it made me wonder, as far as successful video games go, it really wasn't high on merch. Do you know what I mean? Even to yeah. this day, you never really see a lot of people rocking a Mega Man t-shirt or having the uh, figurines or anything. Well, compared to like Mario and Luigi or whatever, but obviously you haven't seen my back tattoo. Oh, let's whip it out. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, okay, now on to ninety four, the Power Rangers, which I think listen, the popularity cannot be denied, despite I believe it's absolute garbage in, in every shape and form. I just hate the Power Rangers. Uh people did go cuckoo for them, especially at Christmas time. But much like Mark last round, Drew brought up the PlayStation, which was the Prozac of the 90s. Okay, what gets bigger yeah. than the PlayStation? <laughs> I mean, serious. Again, what are they, they're about to release PlayStation 5 now, if I all the news I heard yep. is correct, right? Uh, it just invaded everybody. We couldn't believe what we were seeing, what we were playing. So, uh, I mean, again, that was the big one. So for that reason and that reason alone i think i'm gonna have to give 94 the round for the playstation all right that ties up the game and gives control over to 51 headlights what category do you guys want next man uh if you're cool with it drew i say we do tv go for man i'll i'll let you lead off this time all right so the first one the debut december 1st 1994 the first day the Game Show Network, GSN if you're nasty, <laughs> still going strong, and it's awesome because it plays old shows, original programming, specials. It's awesome because you can sit there and watch it and really enjoy it, or you can have it in the background and kind of just glance over every once in a while. And who hasn't sat in a waiting room for your car or the doctor and just get engulfed in, in an old game of, I don't hell, I can't even think of games they play on there. What's the one? No whammies. No whammies. No whammies, yeah. <laughs> Fresh your luck. Or, yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> and it's available in 79 million households in America. And it's crazy to me that the TV shows and the stations and stuff that come and go, and we look at stuff that's good, but the Game Show Network is going strong after all these years. Uh, and, yeah, no no signs of slowing down because people love that, that stuff, and they're coming out with new game shows all the time, and it's where D-list celebrities go to die to host all those shows on there. Like, I'm sure every other Thursday, Wayne Brady's got a new show on there. My favorite part of watching those old shows is the prizes. You win a 1984 Plymouth Horizon, and everyone's like, Whoa! A year's supply of rice the San Francisco treat. <laughs> yeah, what they don't tell you, though, is when you win a car on that show, you got to pay like seven grand in fucking taxes before you even get yeah. the car, so... You sound like my grandpa. That's how they get Chrysler, you. Chrysler, New Yorker. Yeah. <laughs> no, can I have something cheaper, please? <laughs> Actually, you know what? If you're into that and you have Prime, there's a whole slew of old game shows that are on there that are really fun to watch. Like old, like from the 70s, early 80s. Man, just look at the shit people were wearing. It's a trip. Go, uh, Go check those out. Yeah, when the contestants are always with like some old celebrity or something, you know, that's on there to help them out. 
And like, you're with Burt Bacharach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did see one with Betty White on it where she was like in her 60s. And I was like, man, she's always. Been yeah, old. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Go for it, Drew. All right, man. So, yeah, Game Shark was a good one. And uh, speaking of debuting networks, uh, how many people like to look at houses, per se? Uh, maybe a house with an open concept, uh, or maybe make sure you have room for your man cave, or room for your dog, and a yard for your fucking kids, or <laughs> or or to get pissed with your wife by hatred over the people that are on a television together. Correct. That's what we watch it for. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, and, you need, and you need to make sure you're you have a, a house that's close to work, and you have room for your guests when they come to visit you in your new foreign country. I am talking about the network of HGTV, the Home and Garden Television. Uh, this debuted December 1st, 1994. Uh, it's still going. And I got to be honest, I, like you were saying, Brent, I, my wife and I fucking love this channel. We watch mm-hmm. it way more than we probably should. But guess what? We're not the only ones that watch it. According to the most recent Nielsen ratings, HGTV is the fourth most watched cable network in the United States, averaging more than 1.6 million viewers overall and approximately uh, over 95 million American households. Uh, with te- with television in America, receive HGTV, which I believe, uh, per those numbers there, Brent, was good for about 82% of households. Yeah, Fucking everybody yeah. watches this channel. Yep. They're, and they're House Hunters, I mean, I don't even know like what season House Hunters is on. I think it's like 130 or something crazy. One of my friends was on it. Uh, we made fun of him because he had a stupid quote at the end of it. Uh, so we, we still rib him about that. And that was like 15 years ago. Uh, you have Fixer Upper, which is a good one with the Gaines family. Love them. Yep. Flipper Flop. Those guys are a fucking train wreck of a couple. I kind of want to see them like just duke it out on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Beachfront Bargain Hunt. I mean, there's so many phenomenal shows on there. And it, I, it's 25 years ago. And it's potentially even better than it's ever been. So HGTV. I love it, it. It's the only channel where you can be watching and they're they're going to go hunting for houses. And you see this couple that is just the dregs, dregs of society, the douchiest <laughs> people in the world. And they're like, Ben performs seances for dead hamsters and Catherine is a stay-at-home napper. Their budget is $1.4 billion. Yeah. Like, yeah. Where are they getting this money? All the it time. No and they're sense. always in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, we no always sense. in Canada. It's insane. We've seen a lot in the U.S. and I, f- I feel like Chicago for some reason is like a big city. There's been it's... several. We've watched a lot because that's where I'm at. And yeah, yeah, we've we always watch and we see they're going to be in Chicago, and it's just so unrealistic. Yeah, it's oh. like oh, I walk dogs for a living. Our budget's seven hundred thirty-five thousand dollars. <laughs> Most of the people have been living with their parents for about fourteen <laughs> yeah. years too. Yeah, yeah. We've been living in the basement, just saving our money, not spending on. That's anything. a lot of dogs you got to walk to get that budget. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've seen that episode with the dog walk. That's all. Like every other episode, it's always like someone with like some kind of job. It's like oh, I raise chickens in the backyard, like seven of them. Yeah, it sounds like what? very original programming you guys are talking about on this great channel. <laughs> the one that we watch all the time is the uh, the pools where they go in and build the pools and they build these giant grottos and everything for the people. And the pools cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, you know, there's no real drama. So they got to make it up. They're like, uh oh, this slab here looks like it's going to be really hard to pick up. Well, I'm sure you've done it 94 fucking yeah. times. But here we go. <laughs> the, the night before they're supposed to present the pool to the owners, one of the fucking yeah. construction guys comes in it. So they got to drain the pool. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it, Dave. <laughs> we told you not again, Dave. <laughs> I didn't do anything. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
All right, Man Crush. I guess that's us for the television round. You want to start this one off or should I? Uh, Go for it. All right, guys. Premiering December 3rd, 1987, I bring you the episode entitled Dance Mania of the popular hit TV show, The Cosby Show. I'm sure we're all familiar with that. Uh, One of the great shows, and that's the only time I'll mention the namesake of this show in my entire story. (laughs) Because what's so great about the episode of this show is if you're a fan of this show, uh, you'll know that one of Theo's best friends, it was Cockroach. Well, unfortunately, this marks the final episode that Cockroach ever appeared in. It was season four, episode 10, entitled Dance Mania. Now, Claire gives Theo a pair of tickets to be on the TV show Dance Mania. And him and Cockroach go. They wait in line. They're about to get in the door. And the producer tells them, we only got room for one more person because of strict fire code rules. So... Theo, being the good and selfish friend that he is, tells Cockroach to go inside, thinking Cockroach will be like, no, Theo, you got the tickets, you go. Cockroach says, all right, cool. And he goes inside and dances with the star and gets on TV. Theo goes back home, treats his sisters like dirt, and uh, learns a valuable life lesson from his mom in the end of the episode. The other interesting side note to this episode is it marks the last appearance, like I said, of Cockroach, but the first appearance of another character named Smitty. And this also marks the first TV appearance by the actor who played Smitty, Mr. Adam Sandler. First time he ever appeared on television is in this episode, December 3rd, 1987. Now, did Cockroach die in uh, like a bar fire? Is that what you were alluding to? No, there was... Why was this his last episode? <laughs> Him and Theo had a total falling out over this. And then Cockroach just disappeared. A couple years later, of course, the actor shows up to have another secondary career on another great TV show, Martin. But uh, they just wrote Cockroach off. Theo was just a fucking dick to him. And he said, all right, I'm out of here. You and your stuck-up family. And he took off. (laughs) (laughs) Damn, they could at least killed him off. Made a good story for him. Wait, who is the guy that he grew the mustache with? That's the only Cosby episode I'll ever remember. That's Cockroach? (laughs) Okay. He's a douche. Cockroach was like his best bud. It was like the best part of the first four seasons. At least on Growing Pains, Boner went to the military. Yeah. You know, they gave him a proper send-off. True. Much better name, too. What would you rather be called, Boner or Cockroach? Depends on the reason. Good point. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) What's the story behind that? (laughs) All right, Man Crush, what do you got for TV? All right, television, December 28th, 1987. There was a very significant five-part miniseries that was released as a syndicated pilot just to see how well this cartoon would do. For those that don't know the backstory, Playmates Toys wanted to see if a cartoon would create more buzz for this comic book-based miniseries. The comic book, which was released in 1984, it had a pretty niche following at the time, but Playmates, they, they wanted to be sure that this was going to be something that children wanted to get their hands on. So in following the model of every other fucking toy line, they decided that a cartoon was a necessity. And here's a small news clipping for this pilot. Television stations around the country are experimenting with a new animated show called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. These little characters are named Leonardo, Donatello, Michelangelo, and Raphael. Their favorite food is pizza, with toppings that range from whipped cream to a combination of jelly beans and mushrooms. Their mentor is a former ninja who doesn't look Japanese. 
That's because he's turned in, <laughs> he's turned into a rat by some Neutrogen goo. This is from a newspaper in like Iowa or some shit. That transformed four discarded turtles into mutant heroes in a half shell. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles opens on 84 stations beginning December 28th for a five-day run playing twice a day. And if you're in the Kenosha area, it'll be on channels 24 and 50, and they will carry it. If it clicks, it will return for reruns in the spring and then begin a weekly show in September. So how did it do? Uh, I think it did all right. I mean, the original run, I mean, obviously, it went past the five-part series. (laughs) It ran until 1996, uh, and then again from 2003 to 2009. And then again from 2012 through today, and there's also five movies. Uh, you know they've I've made never heard well over a billion dollars <laughs> with this franchise. And oddly enough, still on twice a day in Kenosha. <laughs> I'm sure it is on channels 24 and 50. Uh, if you're a fan of, fan of Teenage, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and you haven't seen the story on the toys that made us, you really should, and it'll go over all this stuff for an hour. So go watch that. I'm not going to bore with you with it. Everybody knows Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This is when it started, December 28th, 1987. There you go. Mic drop. Also mm-hmm. recommend the uh, the He-Man toys that made us one. That yeah. one was pretty. That was, yeah. that, that that was awesome. One. That yeah. was the best one. Did you guys see the movies that made us yet? Not no, yet. Not yet. It's good. It's solid. Even the Dirty Dancing one, I was like, oh, this is going to be a skip. Dude, I was teary-eyed at the end. I was like, <laughs> Patrick's <amazing." laughs> But It's good. Check that out, too. All right, speaking of teary-eyed, what do you got for this round, Judge Dave Schultz? Hmm. All right, 94, Brent brings up GSN. I like the fact that he also said that you can leave it on in the background as you do other things because there's nothing better than the sweet tones of Gene Rayburn while you're making love (laughs) to your old lady. Comes in handy, never fails. Let's see. We got to get going, baby. I got two and two. (laughs) I got a pencil-thin microphone in this really long... Uh, HGTV, <laughs> you guys, it's so great to me that you guys just went on about this, like completely on tangents. Cause you all watch it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I really, I can't get over how everybody on there is rich and you guys brought up their occupations and stuff, but I'm not really impressed by that because if you got money, you can do anything. I, I could design a wonderful house. If you gave me, you know, $8 million, it'd be really impressive if you said to somebody, hey, build a house out of styrofoam and show me what you can do. You know yeah. what I mean? But And regular teenagers that aren't mutants fighting crime, because that's what I want to see. <laughs> there you go. But that's where they have Beachfront Bargain Hunt, so you can buy a nice beach house uh, on a budget. There you go. So they have something for everybody. It's a little cheaper here, because hypodermic needles just kind of roll in with the tide. <laughs> so it's, it's you know less less expensive property. You just gotta watch yeah, it. There you go. Make sure you're wearing flip flops there, Florence. <laughs> it's like it's like using the showers in your dorms. You got, always got to wear flip flops. All right, December '87. Dan- what was that called? Episode Dance Mania, the Cosby Show, the last episode with cockroach in it. Uh, I am impressed with the first Adam Sandler on uh, TV appearance. Uh, even though the only real Cosby show that ever stuck with me, the episode was when they revealed Theo was dyslexic because mm. all those years <laughs> they were giving him a hard time and busting his balls about being sucky in school. Yeah. And, you know, they found, oh, Jesus, our fault for yelling at you all these years. And every kid was kind of like, I want to be dyslexic too. So my parents apologized to me. 
<laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that way, kids. Oh, yeah, no, no, don't listen to me. <laughs> and then uh, Man Crush, the TMNT, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Unbelievable, the story. As you said, you can see the whole thing on the toys that made us on Netflix. And it's just a testament to the the lasting power. My seven-year-old, this Christmas on his wish list is what? More Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle figures. And uh, it's just... Uh, a franchise that keeps on going. And some people would say, you know, it's harder to invent something new. You don't see a lot of new stuff come out now because you can keep reinventing, uh, you know, an older property and just keep putting life into it. And it's going to live forever. And that is the TMNT, TMNT, which doesn't roll off my tongue very well, but it sells great. <laughs> you know, there, it's a really, this is a really good round for both teams. And I always like... I hate to use the term because I think Man Crush said it earlier, the mic drop. But I want I want that really, you know, big thing to smack me in the face. And when I say thing, I'm not saying anything that comes out of your pants or zippers. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like that, that one topic or whatever. And for me, this round was definitely the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the cartoon. And uh, for that reason, Mama Lukes, you win this one, baby. All right. Two point rounds. Uh, I guess it doesn't matter where we go. But it depends on what order you want to do it in. What do you feel like? You know what, Man Crush? Let's hit up music in this round, and we'll save movies for the end. All right. Sounds good. All right, guys. So for my music selection, you know, I looked around, and not a lot of great albums released in December of 1987. Just, I'm not. And I'm not going to bore you with the uh, latest offerings from Dinosaur Jr. or Foreigner. Foreigner. So I, I, I did some research, and I did some looking. And I found a small local band that actually got together back in December of 1987 up in the Pacific Northwest, uh, specifically in Aberdeen, Washington. Aaron Burkhard got together with his friends Chris and Kurt and formed the band known as Nirvana. Nirvana? I don't know if you guys have ever heard of these guys. But, uh, of course, Nirvana went on to do very well. I'm not going to bore you with all of their accolades, because if you are listening to this show and you've never heard of Nirvana, you have more important things to do. <laughs> so, of course, they went on to be members of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They were nominated for 10 MTV Video Music Awards, picked up five of those, was nominated for six Grammys, and had one win out of that. Their impact on the music world and rock music is still felt today. Uh, just one of the legendary bands of all time, Nirvana, first formed in December of 1987 in Aberdeen, Washington. All right, Man Crush, Very nice. what do you got? I have to agree with Mark. You know, you look at the albums for this month and you're like, fuck, I really got to go digging. I got to dig for something. So December 23rd, 1987, this rock legend, he went out with Robin Crosby of Rat who actually died in 2002 of a heroin overdose and pneumonia with complications from AIDS. So talk about a bad combination. <laughs> uh, but he went out with him, uh, Slash from Guns N' Roses, and members of Megadeth for this cocaine-fueled evening <laughs> on the town. And uh, after they returned to the Franklin Plaza Hotel, Motley Crue bassist Nikki Six had his drug dealer inject him with a dose of heroin. And the next thing that Six recalls, and I quote him, it felt as if something very gentle was grabbing my head and pulling me upward. Above me, everything was bright white. I looked down and realized I had left my body. Nikki Six of Motley Crue was lying covered face to toe 
with a sheet on a gurney and being pushed by medics into an ambulance. Nikki said he woke up to see two ne- two needles, like from Pulp Fiction, sticking out of his chest after he was clinically dead for two minutes. This, hold on. This is how rock and roll this dude is. When Vince Neil got the news, he rushed to the hospital where he was told this by a nurse. And I quote, he just left. He pulled the tubes out of his nose, tore the IV out of his arms, told everyone to fuck off, then walked out with only a pair of leather pants on. That's fucking metal Damn. right there. But that's not where this story ends right here. Anyways, Nikki Six is now 15 plus years clean at this point. So that's pretty awesome. He's about to embark on a stadium tour next year. And this whole ordeal led to Motley Crue's hit song, Kickstart My Heart which is off their best-selling and only number one album, Dr. Feelgood and Kickstart My Heart, which this is all about this situation I just told you about, is now their most popular song on Spotify with nearly 200 million plays. So there it is. No fucking shitty foreigner album. <laughs> fucking Nikki Six going out and getting ripped, writing fucking music, getting stabbed in the heart, and Nirvana. What do you got, 94? Go for it, Drew. I'll tell you what, guys. You know what's a lot tougher than uh, than roping a horse? What? Roping a bull? How about roping the wind? <laughs> okay. <laughs> See where I'm going with this here? So on December 13th, 1994, our good friend Garth Brooks took some of those songs off that phenomenal album, Roping the Wind, and put them on a Greatest Hits album. And uh, it did okay. <laughs> yeah, it did okay. Um, but uh, the hits as it's called, wound up selling, let me see here, over 10 million copies. Uh, in June of 95, the, the actual master of it was buried under Brooks's star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. The album debuted at number one on the Billboard 200, so people liked him, and people still do. But yeah, this album was fantastic. I mean, you had Friends in Low Places on there, The River, a great song, Thunder Rolls, uh, Unanswered Prayers, Rodeo. The f- songs on there are phenomenal, and he actually had it like stopped like in, in production. Like, so he, it was only a limited time. So in that limited time, he still sold over 10 million copies of this album. Yeah. He's like, you want the songs, buy them on their fucking albums. Literally. That's his <laughs> viewpoint. He doesn't really like doing these. So he sold 10 million copies. He's like, all right, deuces. Now go buy it on the regular shit. I'm not selling it anymore. Yep. Yeah. Crazy. Garth Brooks is amazing. What? <laughs> One of my favorite Garth Brooks stories is about a song you mentioned. Shameless. He had a huge hit with that, actually written by Billy Joel. Yep. And Billy Joel wrote it as a Jimi Hendrix song. When he sat down to write it, he's like, all right, so if Jimi Hendrix was to write a new song, how would he sing it? And he kind of wrote it with how Jimi's frame of mind and his speech patterns and everything. So it's actually Garth Brooks covering Billy Joel, covering Jimi Hendrix. So Is that the one where, where Billy Joel said when he sang it, he would... Chew a piece of gum. Yes, that's so you the get, one. Like the right cadence yep. and everything. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly the interview I'm thinking that's of. That's funny. Yeah, so he get the cadence right. He chewed gum. Yep. <laughs> this is why I love doing the tag team matches because like the weirdest shit comes out. Like I didn't know that, but that's cool. Like you go to a bar, you throw that out to somebody, and they're like, "That's why he chewed gum and champ." Yeah, that's why I pick <laughs> like, up all the that's chicks. Fucking cool shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to sleep did, with him. Did you know? 
the next one, another huge debut for November. I'm sorry, December of 1994. 16 Stone by Bush, their debut album. Uh, it peaked at number four on the U.S. Billboard 200, and they had some huge, huge singles off that. Come Down, Machine Head, and Glycerine were three songs from the album to enter the U.S. Billboard Top 100, uh, reaching uh, 30, number 43, and number 20, respectively. And Bush was a huge band for me, and I think everyone that was a, a 90s kid or a teenager back da, da, then. Da, da, da. <laughs> yeah, uh, Glycerine, <laughs> Machine Head. I mean, they're those songs you just heard nonstop on rotation until you're probably sick of them for a while, and now they're kind of uh, fun again. But uh, just a, a staple 90s, and that was their debut. I saw them in August. Nice. That was such a great album. We've got Bush! <laughs> you know what the great thing about that album though actually all the bush ones if you read the lyrics no lyrics make any fucking sense no <laughs> not at all and that, that was the great thing about none bush. it's like what your brother was grown up a cow <laughs> it's all said and done kissy kiss in the rear view it's your fault. You're to blame. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, though. 2.2 million monthly listeners on Spotify. People still like them. The album sold over yeah. 6 million copies. And I remember uh, that in the movie Fear, when uh, Come Down was on the soundtrack. And I don't know if you guys remember. I distinctly remember the scene when that song was being played in the background while Mark Wahlberg and Reese Witherspoon were at the fair. The condom, right? Yeah. I think he was like fingering her on the. the <laughs> oh, that's right. He was on the, uh, the, on the roller coaster, <laughs> fucking merry-go-round, some shit like. That. Well, I remember the roller coaster. Yeah, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. <laughs> See, exactly. <laughs> that's not there anymore, man. <laughs> right, <laughs> Nicole forever. Yeah, they had five. They had five singles on that album. I mean, uh, you know, Brent mentioned "Come Down," "Glycerine," "Machine Head," and they all, and as you said, they all uh, reached the top. Uh, I think 40, 43 or so of the Hot One Hundred. Yeah. They also had. Five singles in total, Everything's End and Little Things. So five awesome songs. And if you play those songs, you Everything's know Everything's exactly. End's a great song. It's absolutely All of them fantastic. are. The whole yeah. album itself is good. Even the deep cuts are pretty good. But those singles, man, you hear them, you know exactly who it is off exactly what album it was on. You just know. And, it, and they're all great tunes. <laughs> Fucking love Bush. All right, Dave Schultz. <laughs> the band. You know, I, I'm sorry, but this is great because Drew, like, within this category, he, he just said, I love Garth Brooks. And then he's like, I love Bush. <laughs> but he didn't say he loves Chris Gaines. <laughs> I did, no, I did not say that. Dave, you got to listen to my podcast, man. I love I love Hootie and the Blowfish. I also love Alice in Chains. I also love Slayer. I like a lot of music, Oh, that's man. great. No, like I that. dig it, man. It's just the, it's the look at you in your, in, in your face and you, you just like, you the eyes of a child. <laughs> Genuine joy. Yes. Totally. It's just like, it's great, you know? So, he loves everything, man. He loves Garth Brooks. He loves Bush. Drew, you just got to calm down, man. Breathe in. Breathe out. I'm sorry. Breathe in. <laughs> <laughs> it's the little things, man. Yeah, you guys, you guys, man. Uh, all right, let's stay with 94 for a second. Uh, besides the fact that Drew loves Garth Brooks, uh, the Bush debut, that's pretty good stuff because I remember you'd crank it up to impress girls back in the day. 
you know? Oh, they all love. Oh, yeah. The, they all, yeah. Gavin Rosdale. Gavin Rosdale. So you were hoping, like, <laughs> some of that, you know, hot mojo would rub off on you just by clicking play, <laughs> you know? I'm pretty sure you didn't want his hot mojo to Oh, I wanted it all <laughs> over me. You kidding me? That was the pheromone that the chicks were going crazy for, man. <laughs> Front row, baby. <laughs> What's that dry white stuff on your face? <laughs> oh, Gavin's mojo. I bought it on eBay, but it's supposedly, it's supposedly real. <laughs> I heard if you wipe it across your eyebrow, <laughs> it has medicinal purposes. All right. The other great thing about Bush is that if you lived in the area where they took your Spuds McKenzie Santa Claus cans away, that's what you were drinking. So, yeah. But... Okay. 87, Nikki Six OD'd. Motley Crue, whatever you think of their music, I do have to agree. Those guys partied like absolute fucking animals. I mean, you think of the legends of, of partying rock bands. You think Keith Moon and uh, Ozzy Osbourne and, of course, Motley Crue is up there. Whatever you think of Nicky Six is quite amazing. He's still alive. But, Mark, yeah. uh, the foundation of Nirvana. Do you have any details on how they actually met? If you look into it, they kind of just met like a like at parties, and they started playing together, and the band kind of formed from there. Although Aaron Burkhardt, the original drummer, didn't stay there for long. They right. went through several lineup changes. Really, Kurt and Chris were the only two consistent members throughout the years. But I know I think they got uh, Dave Grohl from like putting up uh, an ad yeah. in like a, a, a trade or a paper or something like that. Well, I'll tell you, for those who lived during that era. Nirvana was the biggest fucking thing since the Beatles, easily. Yes. I mean, it, it completely... St I, I don't like putting labels on stuff, but grunge, right? I mean, if, if it wasn't for that whole Seattle sound and, of course, being led unwillingly, but by Nirvana, I mean, people were wearing ripped flannels. I mean, ripped up jeans and flannels was a new thing. It was like chic to do this kind of stuff. And as lame as you think that may be, the cultural impact of this, this force of music was just phenomenal it was crazy i still love flannels do you you love everything yeah. we've already established this it doesn't matter uh, okay. <laughs> you love everything just name drop. i just want to make sure we're all clear yes we are <laughs> I, I agree with you though i still like flannels nice open flannel with a band t underneath never goes out and i am kind of a never i'm kind of amazed like of all the things as time goes on you know like someday my kid he, he's young but maybe in 15 years i'll bring up kurt cobain and he's probably going to say who the hell's that do you know what i mean i don't know but I, I hope not. I hope he would remember, or, you know, it'd still be, I guess there's still Nirvana t-shirts at Target or something. So people know what oh, the hell is going on. I still see people on a daily basis walking around with Nirvana t-shirts. Who probably have no idea. Yeah, they That's have no what's idea sad. They're yeah, they're like, what? <laughs> Nirvana? Yeah, I don't know who it is, yeah. but it's cool. I'm sorry, but you were born after he fucking killed himself. Take the shirt off. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's no excuse, though. I mean- I, I've wore a Beatles shirt. You know, they weren't really relevant too much when. No, uh, let, I saw. I see so many people with sixteen stone shirts on, and that's you know that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> they don't make those. Come on, man. They maybe sure they there do. are more people walking around with dueling decade shirts than there are sixteen stone shirts. <laughs> I do like how uh, Man Crush shut down Mark's cranky old get off my lawn rant there for a second, but. <laughs> Well, I mean, you're ready to say, like, you know, geez, you weren't even as old as Gavin Rosdale's hot mojo, and now you're wearing a fucking Nirvana shirt? What the fuck? But anyway, this is the longest uh, ruling of all time, so I apologize for that. But uh, I am going to go with December 87 because I, I waxed poetic about Nirvana, 
And I think you kind of knew where I was going from there. And that was the big factor in this decision. All right, man, crush. We got the final round. It's movies. Do we want to go first or do we want to defer? Uh, we might as well just go yeah, first. We can't pull a dick move. We already right. won. Yeah, that'd be fucked up. All right, I'll, I'll start this one out. So December 18th, 1987, we get the release of the highest grossing theatrical stand-up comedy release of all time. It, it ended up making about $51 million in the box office, about, about $115 million in 2019. And for three years, this is important, it held the distinction of having said fuck the most times in a full-length movie for a grand total of 223 fucks surpassing Scarface uh but that said Goodfellas would <laughs> take over that fucking honor in 1990 uh but not bad for a movie that was originally rated X by the MPAA of course they did some edits and they re-released it uh this film was directed by Robert Townsend uh the opening sketch was written by Keenan Ivory Waynes uh which includes some very early appearances from Tatiana Ali of course Ashley Banks from Fresh Prince, Samuel Jackson. I guess Eddie Murphy must have really liked Sam because then he ended up putting him back and coming to America along with some topics from Raw, uh, like McDonald's, finding the perfect woman in Africa. He just carried those over. So, of course, you guys know where I'm going with this. Eddie Murphy Raw. Uh, and you know the performance was going to be good when it started with the tagline, Warning. You may be offended if you're black, white, male, female, rich or poor, Bill Cosby, Mr. T, or Richard Pryor. And supposedly, Mr. T was pretty fucking upset after Raw came out. But, I mean, obviously, it's to me, it's one of the funniest stand-ups of all time. I actually like Delirious a little bit better, but as far as being a theatrical release, this one was a bigger deal. And next time you guys look up a review, just remember places like The New Yorker who, that called Raw depressingly unoriginal and limiting. Holy crap. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Yeah. yeah, real unoriginal. There hasn't been a stand-up performance <laughs> since that hasn't copied Raw or Delirious. I mean, they're still wearing leather jackets and <laughs> pants in every stand-up. I mean, it's just obnoxious. <laughs> There was a, a lot of places online say that uh, the Kings of Comedy surpassed this, but I looked it up and it didn't. It, this beat it by like $20 million. So I'm not sure where that's coming from online, but I'd say this, I definitely put this above Kings of Comedy. This is, definitely stands out. You could, there's so many jokes from this. Oh, you yeah. don't remember. Steve Harvey is just logging in everywhere and writing <laughs> that. <laughs> He's on the Wikipedia as an admin. All right. It's off to you, Mark. All right, guys, December 23rd, 1987, we got the limited release of a war picture here in the United States. I know it's not always the most fun topic to talk about war movies, but this one happens to be one of the all-time great comedies as well. So the movie I am talking about, of course, is Good Morning Vietnam, based on the true life story of irreverent DJ Adrian Cronauer. And if you've never seen Good Morning Vietnam, I highly advise you to stop what you're doing right now, put the show on pause, 
Go watch this movie. It is one of the most amazing films ever. Just an outstanding performance by Robin Williams, who ad-libbed almost all of his radio dialogue in the movie. And if you know what I'm talking about, you will understand how incredible that is. The movie made $123 million worldwide off a $13 million budget, but its lasting stay and impact in American culture has just been incredible. Uh, it really solidified Robin Williams, in my mind, as one of the all-time greats. I had seen Robin Williams and Mork and Mindy and in Popeye and all those other movies, but when I first saw Good Morning Vietnam, I knew that this guy was for real. And the, the writing by uh, Mitch Markovich is incredible, but it's the improvisational performances by Robin Williams that really make the film, in my opinion. So that's my pick. It's one of my all-time favorite comedies. It's one of the all-time favorite comedies of the American Film Institute as well. It's Good Morning Vietnam, starring the great Robin Williams, and Forrest Whitaker, and Bruno Kirby, not to mention Robert Wool, released December 23rd, 1987. Dude, I miss Robin Williams. I do too. I mean, that movie was that movie was fantastic. But I mean, uh, he was the uh, the voice of the genie in uh, Aladdin. I mean, he was fantastic. And we watched the uh, the live action Aladdin, which Will, with uh, Will Smith as the genie. And he was okay, but I'm like, and Will Smith is about as versatile as it gets of an actor. And he, he's like a well, I'm gonna call him a singer, but he's like a rapper. And he figured he could at least handle the singing aspect of it. Robin Williams, I think, just blew him out of the water when he would sing those, you know, the songs from the the cartoon version as opposed to the live one. I mean, it was just uh, amazing. Everything he did, I felt, was fantastic. His range as an actor is incredible, and that's what I that's why I love Good Morning Vietnam. His comedy is so quick and witty and sharp in the beginning, and come the end of the movie, it is such a dramatic performance. So you really get both ends of the acting spectrum in one picture from Robin Williams. Yeah. yeah and I mean, uh, I, I feel like from a lot of the stuff I heard, he was actually just like a genuinely good dude. Um, and if I'm not, I could be wrong, but I think I heard that when they were filming the voiceovers for Aladdin, he was, they were also filming um, uh, Schindler's List, another uplifting tale. Uh, <laughs> but but the people working on Schindler's List obviously were not in a good mood, you know, just because of the, the, you know, everything that they're they're talking about and, and filming the movie on. They actually had Robin Williams call over to them to like tell jokes and essentially like help lift their spirits and like not make them seem so like miserable from working on such a sad movie like that. So uh, he uh, he can make anybody Man. smile, and his stand-ups were. I love watching his stand-ups. They were so good. Oh, they were transformative. Cocaine fueled, but still good. <laughs> <laughs> very sweaty. much like Nikki six <laughs> <laughs> yeah the point that i noticed that he was a really good actor with a lot of range was the fisher king did you guys yeah. ever see that movie I yeah don't think it is weird uh the fisher king but i really like it it's like the uh the shock jock kills someone and then you know redeems himself through him it's it's a fun story it's well, I don't know about fun, but <laughs> oh, no, it's, uh, it's 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 entertaining. It's entertaining. You know, it's he's out there. He's like the the crazy lunatic homeless man who's actually a super educated guy who had a horrible backstory. But it's a yeah. it's a fun show to watch, even though it's depressing. It's also entertaining <laughs> because it's him. It's him doing it, doing being crazy. That was the first like real role that I remembered him in, like non comedy. Maybe there was one in there that I missed, but that's the first one that I remember. Anywho, 
off to you guys. Yeah, go ahead, Brent. Lead it off, buddy. All right. Uh, so our first one is the probably greatest actor of a generation or any generation. I think we've already referenced him at least once, if not more times uh, in the show tonight. One Mr. Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> the best actor of a generation. Um, I don't know why you're laughing. That's rude. Street Fighter, <laughs> released December 22nd, 1994. It's based on the Capcom fighting game that everyone and their dog has played, and they have milked it, and it's still not dry. It's still a fun series. Jean-Claude Van Damme and the weirdest casting, Raul Julia, as the main bad guy in that one, M. Bison. But it also had Kylie Minogue, who at that time was super popular. She was a singer. And Ming-Na Wen, who is, has been on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And if you've been watching The Mandalorian, she was in an episode of that this year. She's uh, just uh, has cre- incredible staying power. She's in tons of movies. Now, this movie is campy, but the film was actually usually when you have these games turned movies they don't do well this was a big commercial success uh worldwide box office grossed three times production costs in a time when most of these movies didn't even cover their production costs unfortunately and then home video releases and television broadcasts were all profitable they have a live action version of this game it looks a lot like Mortal Kombat. And the thing about it is, is when they they made this, the original Mortal Kombat was going to be a Jean-Claude Van Damme vehicle. And the guy who's in Mortal Kombat, uh, Johnny Cage, was just the Jean-Claude Van Damme. And that's where that split fight comes from, that move where he does the splits and punches you in the nuts. Yeah. That was going to be Jean-Claude Van Damme. And they ended up not doing it. They made, you know, uh, went a different direction. But that's where that came from. So Street Fighter, the movie. I can't believe you said it was a good movie. (laughs) That's like. No, no, no. I said it was profitable. And it it, was profitable. Okay. (laughs) It tripled. It tripled its investment. Hey, it also had the best part was like the guys who played like Zangief and or Zangief for however you say his name. And uh and E Honda, like the background characters, the guy who played uh, the Russian Zangief, he's the guy that was like in every football. He played Latimer yeah. in the program or whatever yep. it was, you yep. know. And he played in Necessary Roughness. Anytime they needed someone to be that guy, he was that Texas guy. Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He was, uh, he was uh, yeah. one of the bad guys in the Scooby Doo movie as well. Yeah, just what the hell is that guy's name? Andrew something, right? Yeah, we invited him on the show way back when. He never got back to us. Yeah, he threatened to beat us up or something. <laughs> well, he's very, very important. Actually, it's funny. I looked him up not long ago, and he was like living in a trailer or something like that, and he had beaten his wife or something and oh, went to jail. Way too busy for dueling decades. Way <laughs> too busy. Speaking of, we do have Kelly Maroney coming up next month. Also, Robert Tepper is coming back. Uh, he's coming back to judge. I think he's sitting with us on the 23rd, so that'll be at the out at the end of January. You know who else? Who else was in Street Fighter? Uh, Damian Chapa, who was also in Under Siege, uh, Money Talks, and uh, of course Walker Texas Ranger, one of the best TV shows ever. Blood in, blood out. And yes, I also love that, David. I, I love Walker <laughs> Texas Ranger. Tech. Why well, do you even say it? So good. Yeah, whatever. 
<laughs> Walker told me I have AIDS. <laughs> Sorry. It's I okay. I've seen that 13 million times. I laugh every time someone posts it. <laughs> Fucking killed his career. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Drew. <laughs> All right. So uh, for our next one, we have a movie that was released on December 16th in the good year of our Lord 1994. This movie is a tale of two roommate best friends who are fed up with their current situation and decide to take a road trip out west to better their fortunes and find one of the main characters true loves, uh, which means I'm talking about Dumb and Dumber. Uh, this movie... I don't know if I even need to say anything. This movie is one of the best movies ever made. Do you love it? You know what's funny? We po- we posted that the other day. Yeah, there was a guy that wrote worst movie I've ever fucking seen in the comments on our page. I was like, should we? What should he be beaten? I don't know. That's <laughs> uh, I just I hide his comments. Ugh, he's think awesome still there, I think not. I think you should screenshot it and then you can uh, maybe put at one of your other windows from was it Windows two or whatever you're talking about. And then <laughs> just 2.0. Put it up and uh, put it up there and be like, this is what you don't want to do with life. You know, yeah, pr- print it out on Paint Shop Pro. That way you can have it <laughs> hanging in the studio. Hell yeah, man! Paint Shop Pro was legit. You can make banners and cards and shit. Hell yeah. Um. Yeah, Dumb and Dumb. This movie's fucking hilarious. Uh, the movie made uh, over $247 million, which equates to like $429 million in today's dollars. Uh, it's a classic movie. Uh, Pretty bird. Pretty bird. Yeah, the movie, it, it's infinitely quotable. <laughs> I mean, anytime someone talks about odds for it, and it doesn't matter what, like, you know, do we have a chance to get this done? I'm like, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> like, you, you're, you always say that, and it's from this movie, uh, Kick His Ass, Seabass, uh, Every time I, every, anytime I can't remember something, I'm always like slippy, switting, switting, swatting. Samsonite. I was way off. <laughs> like I, I, I use that for like I, I quote this movie at least once a day, which I don't know what that says about me. But the movie uh, spawned an animated TV series, uh, 2003 prequel, and then the sequel that came out a couple years ago. Um, but the the original man, so friggin' fantastic. Uh, Lloyd swallows a June bug on the way to to Colorado. I mean, it's so great. It's so great. We landed on the moon. <laughs> I love the movie trope <laughs> of where like the, the, the people that they're after are bumbling idiots, but whoever's chasing them, like, these guys have to be pros. You know, oh, that's yeah. like that. And that's exactly <laughs> what they're like until the guy gets to them. They're like, oh, no, they're just fucking idiots. See, no, I have gas. <laughs> <laughs> they must have been following us for months. <laughs> How do they you know hear the most annoying sound in the world? <laughs> Exactly. Uh, there's that. There's the mo- anytime I hear Mockingbird, like with, with, oh, with my youngest daughter, Ma. like when we listen to music, yeah. I'm like, I can't Bird. not crack yeah. up when I when I hear that song. See, see. So it's so good. Uh, this movie, I would say for me, it's like probably one of my top three favorite movies of all time. Uh, the hotel was the same hotel. Uh, it was the Stanley Hotel that was used in The, the Shining or The Shinnin, if you prefer The Simpsons uh, Treehouse of Horrors. Uh, the soundtrack was also pretty damn good. Yeah, Crash Test Dummies on there when they get lost in the, uh, was like Iowa or something like that. Uh, New Age Girl by Dead Eye Dick. You had Crash by The Primitives. A uh, couple other good songs that are, that are escaping me right now, but um, I think the Lemonheads are on there too. Overall, uh, great movie. I could I could do a whole fucking episode just on this this movie. That's an IOU. It's for a car, so you're going to want to hold on to that one. <laughs> <laughs> we saved them all. We're good. Yeah, that's all. Right, that's all on. I got. I mean, otherwise, I'll just be quoting the movie for the next like thirty minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's that's a fucking solid film. 
It had Cam Neely in there. Kick his ass, Seabass. Seabass. Cam Neely was phenomenal for the Bruins. So, it's so good. It's just a shame that they uh, they had the shitty prequel and then they had to bring it back, of course, and try to do a uh, you know a sequel to it, which just had like one funny part in it, killed it. All right, let's head down for the judgment for the final round from Judge Dave Schultz. Okie dokie. All right, Dumb and Dumber, we established how quotable it is. I even like how Drew brought up the soundtrack, and he said the Lemonheads were on it. So I don't know if he, if he said that because he <laughs> loves the Lemonheads or he was trying to appeal to the fact I'm from Massachusetts and so are the Lemonheads. Okay, now Dumb and Dumber, again, we established all this stuff about it, but Brent brought up Street Fighter covered uh, production costs by three times. I'm assuming it only took like $100,000 to make because I can't see <laughs> this movie being that much of a success. I mean- you know, do we have the numbers on that? How much it cost to yeah, make? Yeah, I'm looking up right now. Okay. The funny part was is every one of those movies never makes money. It's $35 million to make it. Okay. Well, I'm more impressed. Ooh. I am much more impressed, especially because a lot of video game, all video game movies tend to suck. Yeah. Now, Dumb and Dumber, do we have any numbers on that too? How much money that made, at least in the theaters? Yeah, it made $247 million in theaters, the box office, and the budget was $17 million. Ooh, mama. Okay. Looking over 87, uh, Eddie Murphy Raw. Again, the impact on comedy is huge. The kings of comedy can go suck a big fat one. Good morning, <laughs> Vietnam. Now, Mark, I can appreciate your love for this movie, but I mean, if you start looking at Robin Williams' complete body of work, there's so many, and you guys did that when you were talking about this one. It seems like 51 Headlights was kind of backing up your case because they just want to talk about how great Robin Williams was. And as far as dramatic roles, I will suggest if no one's ever seen The World According to Garp, it's yeah. not just fun to say. It's also a pretty good little flick. Now, with all this being said, guys, this was a really tough one for me to try to pick a winner here. But I think uh, Drew drove it home. With his 51 headlights and all, with Dumb and Dumber. And by the way, I did like the prequel. I haven't seen the sequel, so you guys said you hated it, but I enjoyed it. Still, I'm going to have to say 51 headlights wins this category. Ooh, all right. Game ends up being a little closer than we thought, but uh, the Mamelukes still pull out a victory on this one. Wow. Great picks, guys. Thanks for showing up this week. Too little, too late, but we we made a, we mounted a, what was it, four to three? Four to three, yeah. We tried. I still, I mean, the home, the HGTV, we all, everybody watches. No, I know no. they don't, Drew. Every, yeah, you, come on. You got the one judge who's like anti-HGTV. My wife loves it too, but there's no way in hell See? I'm watching it. No, hell no. Fuck those people in their houses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, even uh, Whistle's host, the Gaines, what show do they have? Uh, I mean, that show. Uh, uh, yeah, show. Fixer Upper. Their show is over. I well, think. they have a restaurant in Waco, Texas. And my wife's like, oh, we need to go to their restaurant now. And I'm like, why? Why do you want to give them more money? They build houses. What do they know about food? You know what I mean? I, I don't get this. Why is this like a brand? I don't understand it. But hey, to each their own. <laughs> Just everything. Like this rights, baby. You know? Why do people wear my t-shirts and their t-shirts and shit? Like, you know, like, I don't know. Uh, selling out, that's what it's all about. <laughs> the American dream, baby. Well, speaking <laughs> of selling out, Dave Schultz, why don't you tell everyone where they can hear selling out? 
Well, we are on all your favorite podcast platforms and apps and all that good stuff. You can find us at infirmary.org and on all the social media networks at Selling Out Show. All right. And thanks a lot again to our guests this week, Brent Hand and Drew Zachman. Drew, tell everyone where they can listen to the One Headlight podcast. Yeah, the uh, One Headlight 90s podcast. I'm over on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, we talk about all sorts of 90s things like music, which, as we all know, I think by this point, I love <laughs> uh, movies, TVs, uh, TV shows, sports. Uh, we just we're wrapping up. We did a couple episodes on Beavis and Butthead, have our latest one coming out for that. Then we're going to do an episode on Pearl Jam. And then we're doing an extensive listing of 90s one hit wonders, which I am beyond stoked to talk about those because I love those as well. Um, but, yeah, check us out. One Headlight 90s podcast. I'm on Twitter at 1HL podcast. And Brent Hand, what's going on on Hysteria yeah. 51, man? Hysteria 51, you can find us everywhere. They just said, if you forget any of the links, you can go to Hysteria51.com. You can find everything. And we've got some touring coming up in 2020. We're going to be in Chicago and California and Kansas City and in Point Pleasant, West Virginia for Mothman Festival. So if you guys are out there, we're going to be <laughs> doing some some live shows out there. And uh Yeah. We just got picked by the Podcast Business Journal. What a prestigious uh, <laughs> publication as uh, one of the top 13 podcasts that cover UFOs in the world. And actually, they had us beating Joe Rogan and uh, last podcast on the left. So I'll take it. Wow. I'll take nice. it. I, nice. I think I need, nice. to, I need to hand out some hand jobs or something. <laughs> to, uh, Golf clap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But like I said, you can check us out anywhere, and we cover everything that's strange, weird, and unusual, and we make fun of it usually and have a blast talking about it. <laughs> All right, Duelers. And if you've missed an episode, you can always head over to DuelingDecades.com where you can subscribe to all of our episodes on CastBox as well as on iTunes and on Spotify. Uh, also, head over to Facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades where you can play our daily trivia. We also have a weekly culmination trivia that Man Crush spoke about earlier. Get in on that action because all scores reset the first of the year, and it's a whole new game. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media. Warning. This product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Velo is here, and it's the modern take on nicotine. They're nicotine pouches that are hassle-free, so you're free to do it all. Whether you're hitting happy hour or hitting the slopes, home brewing to house partying, cliff jumping or concert going, whatever the situation, Velo's ready. Visit Velo.com now to find your retailer. Website restricted to age 21 plus tobacco consumers. Underage sale prohibited.